Father, we thank you for bringing us together today. I thank you that as believers, you have given us so much. I ask, Father, today that you would remind us of your power. Your abilities are so amazing. Help us, Father God, to be filled with so much of you that our faith increases and our ability to deal with life becomes even, even easier. I ask, Father God, that you'd be with the children as they go downstairs, that you'd fill them with your word. I ask that you'd be with the adults and the helpers and that you would be glorified. Excite the children about who you are and teach them of your greatness. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, Father, that you've given us truth. In Christ's name, amen. Children, you may be excused. This is the beginning of a new series today. I've called it Miracles. See what our Father can do. Many of the places that we're going to go in the scriptures are, are, are probably familiar. Many of the stories and, and the miracles that we're going to look for, we've been taught. I, I was taught them as, as a child, and, and you probably have heard them as well. This whole idea of miracles is important for us. I, I believe it's really important and helpful to be reminded of how awesome, amazing, and powerful our Father is. And I want us to start with this idea of, of, of our Father. It's our dad, Abba Father. In John 1:12, Romans 8:14, 1 John 3, and many, many other passages, it's, it's very clear that Scripture teaches us that we have been adopted by God. We're his children. That's in itself an incredible miracle. And I believe that every believer should be filled with awe at what our Father can do. I also think that it's, it's fine, it's great to do some bragging, bragging about God. I, I brag about my dad from time to time. Um, his musical ability was pretty incredible. There were times when it drove us crazy because he was one of those perfect pitch people that just leave it alone, Dad. But he, could, he has this incredible talent, especially for barbershop harmony. His talent was so great, he could sing all four of the parts, not at the same time. <laughs> but he had the ability to sing any one of the four parts of barbershop harmony, which, that, that's just astonishing. He was a good man. So it's, it's fun to brag about my dad from time to time. But it's even greater to brag about my heavenly father, the one who's adopted me into his kingdom. And I think bragging about what God has done and can do is praise and worship. This is a form of our, our worship and our glorifying God. Remembering what God can do also helps me cope with the troubling news of our culture. Our culture is just deteriorating around us and it's refreshing and it's encouraging to know that my father is in control Amen. 
Some of the amazing things that God does, we call miracles, right? Miracles. And we call them miracles, we don't call them regulars. Regular things are are things that happen all the time, and usually we can explain them to some extent. So those are regulars. Miracles don't happen regularly, and we can't fully explain them, or we can't explain them at all. Those are miracles. There are many things that God has done, and we do not understand. We don't understand how they happen. They don't adhere to our secular science. We do not know how God does what he does. God doesn't explain how he does miracles. Our greatest scientific minds are severely limited and often flawed. And we most likely wouldn't understand the basic concepts if God shared them with us anyway. What has happened is that the secular world has taken God's demonstrations of power, greatness, authority, his creativity and his planning, those things that we find in scripture, and and the secular world has classified them as foolish myths. As believers, we need to completely, completely rebel against that. We need to remember that God has given us truth. He's given us the Bible, a unique source for understanding who he is. I'm going to stop there for a minute because we need to remember that the Bible tells us about who he is, not how he makes stuff work. You are not going to go to scripture and find out how he does the things that he does. You're going to find out who he is. The miracles that we find in the Bible are given to illustrate that God is unique. He is not the same as anything in creation. I know we were created in his image, but he's different than we are. He's perfect. And he has complete control over every aspect of creation. He has unlimited resources, unlimited power, and unlimited knowledge. And he loves us. Isn't that amazing? And when he says that he loves us, he loves us perfectly. He knows each one of us perfectly. As we begin this series about miracles, we need to remember that the Bible was not intended to be a textbook of how God does what he does. It's not a textbook about how the universe works. It's just not there. That's not what God's concerned with. He's concerned that we know him. So I'd like for us to think about three purposes of the Bible. First of all, one of those purposes is God revealing himself to us. He he reveals who he is. So one of the purposes is revealing God. Another purpose is revealing our need to be saved from our sins. We are flawed. 
We're sinful. And the Bible reveals that to us, that we have this desperate need for salvation. And then the third part is related to that is, is God presents his perfect plan for salvation. So he gives us a, an answer to that need for salvation. And really, there may be some other purposes for Scripture, but those are, the, those are the three that are basic. You're not going to find how. He's kind of going through there, and you're going to you know, come to you know, someplace where the chapter heading is, and this is how I did it. It's, it's not there. What you're going to find is, this is who I am. And as we go through this, I want us to really remember that this is dad. This is, and I don't mean any disrespect by using that term. Abba, Father, he is our dad. He's our father. If we're believers, he's adopted us. That is so vital and so important. Now, where this also takes us is that we have to understand the miracles of the Bible. And to do that, we must be careful how we interpret the language of Scripture. Bible language should be understood in its normal, ordinary, or literal sense unless there is a convincing reason for considering it otherwise. So if God says something in the Bible, you just go, that's what God says. It would be very wrong for us to assume the descriptions of miracles are only a figure of speech. When we come to these amazing, in some ways, undescribable things that God does, we don't want to just say, well, they're, they're just an allegory or, or a metaphor or symbolism or hyperbole. Those things are in Scripture, and there are places where you will find all sorts of parts of speech, figures of speech. All kinds of constructions. But we start with the literal. That's difficult. We, we have to realize that we cannot reject miracles because we think everything is explainable by scientific method. I think our science is great. Think of all the things that our science has given us. That's fine, but it's flawed because it's associated with humans. We need to be careful and we need to understand that the events that are portrayed in Scripture that we call miracles are brought about by a supernatural power. So it would be wrong for us to go, well, it's so, so unbelievable, it's so huge, it's so big, it's supernatural. So, well, I don't know if I want to take on this supernatural thing. So miracles aren't really real. They don't really exist in the real world. That would be wrong. The best way then for us to interpret Scripture is to carefully approach each passage and consider what the author intends it to mean. Author. Okay, so let's make sure that we understand there are human authors that were, we, 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 don't, we say, well, Paul wrote that book. Okay, that's true, but ultimately the author of Scripture is God. 
It's the Holy Spirit working through the men that wrote Scripture. So the author is God. So what does God mean in a text? In this way, the text is taken as literal unless it's absolutely impossible to do so. And i got to tell you, I kind of have a bias towards this because I think we very often don't like to go there. Because when we make Scripture very literal, it says stuff that sometimes makes us uncomfortable. And some of those are the miracles. Miracles are extraordinary occurrences only attributed to the supernatural work of God. And it's important as we look at the miracles that we understand that God wants us to see who he is miraculously and in his power and his authority and how big and great he is. To not reduce him to something smaller. There's really three main words that are used in scripture to refer to miracles. Sign, wonder, and power. These three words help us to better understand miracles. And the reality is that a miracle is beyond human understanding. If you, if you think about the miracles that we're going to look at and you go, I don't, there's just no way I can understand how that could actually happen, that's a good thing. Because it helps us to understand how great God is. So a miracle goes beyond our understanding and it, it, it's, its design is to inspire awe in us. Awe for God. And it, it, the miracles are displays of God's power and how he acts towards us. And there's signs that God is at work in the world. He didn't wind us up you know, the creation up and then walk away like the deists think. He's involved. And the miracles help point us in that direction. The psalmist says, you are the God who works miracles or wonders. You're the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the people. So there's a reason why God gives us these things that we call Miracles. Remember, this is, this is our adopted dad. This is dad doing this. Wow. We're going to start with the first miracle. And without this miracle, there would be no other miracles. I'm going to read the entire passage. I, I debated about this. You know, you start putting sermons together. And you go, is this the way you really should form your, your sermon. And there's all these supposed rules. I'm going to read the whole passage because I want us to hear God's word. I want you to be able to hear. And if you're following along, which I hope you will in your Bible, you'll hear and you'll see the truth. This is an incredible miracle. And I couldn't cut any part of it. So here it is, Genesis chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. In the beginning, 
God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse, and it was so. And God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together, he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the third day. And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth. To rule over the day and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures. And let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. 
In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created him. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with, it, with seed and its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth and everything that has breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything he had made. And behold, it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the, on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. What an incredible statement of a miracle. This first miracle that we look with, it differs than all of the other miracles in Scripture because there were, it begins with no human observers. There were no humans there when he said, let there be light. God had to reveal the information to Moses. Moses, of course, is the one that most scholars believe wrote Genesis. Wrote the first five books. That's what most scholars believe. And just like other human authors of Scripture, Moses wrote under divine inspiration. And the way that works, that superintendence of God's Spirit working with Moses, that guarantees the accuracy and the authority of what was being written. It means what we just read is absolute truth. The writings of Moses... The first five books, including Genesis, they were used by Jesus and the apostles. The New Testament includes the six days of creation. It includes the curse of all creation when Adam sinned. It includes the global judgment of the flood at the time of Noah. All of those things are included in the New Testament. Now, I know in our day and age especially... There's some problems with this, this whole idea of creation. Six days. And there are debates, huge debates, about the meaning of day. In the Hebrew, it's yom. And yom can be used in a variety of different ways. So there's this, this, this debate, this does Yom mean an actual 24 period time? Does it mean just a time? Does it, what does it actually mean? And so there's, there's become all these debates. And some of those debates are driven simply because our science says it's got to be a certain way. Really? Is this, is this historical truth? Or is this myth? That's what it really comes down to. 
Is that first chapter, those, those verses that we just read, are, are these fact, is this historical fact, or is this just some kind of myth that just kind of sets up the beginning of the Bible? The reason that we struggle with this is because the ideas of evolution have become so ingrained in our culture that to think anything different than evolution and those theories associated with it is paramount to foolishness. But there's a greater foolishness that's more important. And Paul speaks of it in Romans chapter 1. He writes this, beginning in verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. Why are they without excuse? They're, they're without excuse because if you don't accept what God has given us, what God has shown us in his creation, you're a fool. God inspired the Bible. And as a part of that inspiration, he has defended it through all of history. It's unique. God's word remains infallible. That's amazing. So when we come back to this first miracle in Genesis chapter 1, we need to understand it from the perspective of how God wrote it in the first place. How is that? Before Genesis 1, there was no physical universe. But God existed. God is eternal. He has no beginning and no end. We see this in a, in a related passage that really fits together to help us understand this first miracle. It's in John chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that, that was made. <clears throat> in him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. What was here before our universe? God. I don't think you can even say here. What existed? God. So when we come back to Genesis 1 and the miracle, and either God created the universe and sovereignly rules his creation, or the only other possibility that we, we really have is everything was caused by blind chance. Chance is pretty chancy. I kind of got sidetracked uh, one afternoon in this study for this this week, there are some people who really are into math and science and all that kind of stuff, and they've done these these incredible calculations about the beginning of the universe and about life just showing up. 
Um, and, and we could go on for a long time with this, and it's very interesting. And if you want, I've got a couple of very interesting books in the library um, that you can read about chance. I chose just one. This is from Sir Fred Hoyle. This goes back quite a ways in history, as a matter of fact, but I like it. He says this about chance and creation. The chance of it all happening is 1 in 10 to the 40,000th. Now, 40,000, so that's 40 with three zeros. Okay, I, I, that's hard for me to grasp. So how do we put this into something that maybe we can understand a little bit better? So um, any of you ever roll dice? So you put two die together, you have dice, so there's two of them. That means you have two sixes, so you're going to get a 12 if you roll two sixes, right? So 10 to the 40th, 40 thousandth would be the same as rolling two die 50,000 times in a row getting 12s. So every single time you roll the dice, for 50,000 times, you get 12s going to happen? No. So what I, I discovered in, in my little rabbit trail looking at all these mathematical equations about chance is every time somebody put that kind of thinking to it, the chances of creation, you know, something occurring from nothing, the chances were so huge that the only way you can interpret the numbers is it's impossible. It can't happen. The other truth that we need to understand about chances is chance is if God is real as the Bible describes, the things in the Bible are true, then there's no place for chance. This is important. Chance is dangerous, and chance means if, you, if you're relying on chance, if that's where you go about creation or anything else related to Scripture, then you have effectively done away with God. You've taken Him out. This is important for us on a personal basis too because not any one of you, not any one of you are here living by chance. God intended there to be you. Picking on somebody. I could pick on this one over here too. Or that one. He purposely wanted you. There's no chance in that. You're not a mistake of biology. You are someone that God purposely said, I want that person. No chance involved. That changes a lot of our hope, our desires, and what we think of the future. This whole idea also helps us to understand our faith because Christian faith rests on the foundation of the Bible being true. The Bible's true. Scripture is true. What we say we believe as Christians rests on that. The word, Scripture, it's 
This is Christ. He is the word. He is the truth. If we're going to go by chance, that takes all of that out. If you take that out, you have no hope. Christ existed before creation. He existed before creation. He, he took on human form. He's, he's incarnate. And in his incarnation, he referenced his own scripture. As he taught during his incarnation, he's going back to those same things that he wrote that we call the Bible, that we call truth. Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, was present when the events of Genesis 1 that we read earlier occurred. He was there. He's a part of the process. Paul writes this in Colossians chapter 1, beginning of verse 16. For by him, he's referring to Christ. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. That takes us back to that big miracle in Genesis chapter 1. No chance. God caused it. It's his creativity. Christ made light on day one. Placed the sun, moon, and stars on day four. He made the sky and waters on day two. Populating them on day five. He made the lands on day three and populated them on day six. This is not a matter of scientific debate. The reality is if Genesis, if Genesis is false, and I mean not just the creation story, but Genesis, but particularly this morning, this miracle about creation. If it's false, the Father... The Son and the Holy Spirit are liars. All three, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, existed in verse 1 of Genesis. All three were involved in creation. They made something from nothing. Since Christ quotes from Genesis regarding Adam and Eve... That's pretty important. If the creation account is not correct, then the Messiah, the one that we put our hope in, he's a liar. And he couldn't be the Messiah. And if that's true, then we're still in our sins and dead. The reality is that if you deny the truth of Scripture... If you deny the miracles that God presents in his word, if you deny the Bible, you will spend an eternity in hell. Sorry, it's that simple. No chance. It's not what God wants. So let's go back to this this whole beginning. It says in the beginning, God. God created God said. So who is this God who created everything out of nothing? Who is he? There's a place I really like that that helps me with this. And 
there's more to it than what I'm going to read this morning, what we're going to look at. But isn't it, isn't it just astonishing to know, to know the Creator? He wants us to know who He is. He could care less whether we understand how he did what he did. That's not important. What he wants is relationship. He wants us to know him. But there's a passage in Job that helps us about this whole issue. And after Job's life, you know, which was pretty, pretty messed up, he, he's, got, he's in this conversation with God, and God responds to him. Listen and, and look, follow along in Job's cha- Job chapter 38, verse 1. The, God's answering Job and, and these questions because they help us to understand we weren't there. And the things of creation only God can do. He writes this. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man. I will question you, and you make it known to me. First question. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me. If you have understanding, who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? Or what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. So the question that God's asking Job, and he asks all of us, if you're questioning whether God created it or not, where were you when it happened? It isn't for us to understand how. What is vital is that we understand that it happened. We don't know the details. But when God said, let there be light, boom! There was light. Isn't that astonishing? The details, the science within that statement, they're beyond any of us. How can that be? It can only be because God's involved. Only God knows. God chose the specifics of how he would create. He chose the specifics of how and what he would create. And he did not need to accommodate any of us or our science. All he knew is that he had a desire to create. Boom, and he created. Same with you and I. You are not a mistake of nature. You are not here, alive, breathing as a chance of biology. God created you. God created the heavens. I don't have to know how. I need to know who or whom. This first miracle then, every other miracle rests upon it. 
This first miracle, it's immense. It's colossal, monumental. It's, it, it's the biggest, with one exception, and we'll look at that later. The reason I go there is because if the history recorded in Genesis is not true, and, and that would mean that Adam is not the literal ancestor of the entire human race, then the Bible's explanation of how sin entered the world and has affected the human race, it's impossible to make sense of. And if we didn't fall in Adam, we cannot be redeemed in Christ. And if we're not redeemed in Christ, we have no hope for the future. God created what an amazing, astonishing miracle Abba Father did for us. Father, thank you. Thank you for your amazing love. Thank you that we see around us every day the absolute awesomeness of your creativity, your power, your majesty. And Father, thank you that you know each one of us personally, that you even tell us in your word, you know each one of our hairs, you know each one of us so intimately, and you love each one of us. We matter. We have purpose. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for us. And raising from the dead. And I thank you, Father God, that you have caused us to be a part of your family. We are related to the creator of the universe. And have access to you. Thank you. In Christ's name. Amen.